and welcome to the latest episode of the Library Girl and Book Boy podcast where I'll be chatting to author extraordinaire Christopher Edge about his latest title The Longest Night of Charlie Noon as well as sharing some mini reviews of his other brilliant books and recommending some titles of things you might like to read next if you've already read all of Christopher's brilliant books. Before we get started with the interview, I would like to issue a quick apology for um, the sound quality during part of this interview. Um, For some reason, the signal when we were recording was not very good, but Christopher, as the true professional he is, carried on regardless and was very patient when we had to re-record bits. So I apologise in advance for my slightly dodgy editing at times, but I hope you still enjoy it. Chris was so interesting to chat to and I would love you to persevere to the very end to find out about an exciting event he has coming up soon this summer. Thank you. Enjoy the interview. Right. Hello, everyone. Today I have got Christopher Edge on the podcast talking about his newest book, The Longest Night of Charlie Noon, which is published by the lovely folks at Nosy Crow and has a brilliant cover by Matt Saunders. Hi, Chris. How are you this evening? I'm good. Thank you, Joe. Excellent. Thank you for coming on to talk to us. So shall we start by you telling us as much as you can without giving away any spoilers about your newest book, The Longest Night of Charlie Noon? Yes, so, well, The Longest Night of Charlie Noon is a, is a story about uh, three children who get lost in the woods one night. And they think, one of the children thinks there might be a spy in the woods because there's been these strange sticks that he's found on the path. So uh, another one, another of the children thinks actually there's a monster that lives in the woods called O'Coney, but Charlie decides to head into the woods try and find out what the secret is and when Charlie and Dizzy and Johnny are in the woods night suddenly seems to fall uh, without warning and the story gets strange from then on there's kind of a strange dangers lurking in the shadow there's kind of impossible puzzles to solve and the Charlie starts basically to fear for the future and wonder what will happen if this night never ends. Yes, it is as spooky and mysterious as you've made it sound. It's so good. And as you've mentioned, it's um, set in the woods. It's really immersed in the wild, this story. Why did you choose a woodland for your setting for this particular story? Well, kind of the book actually starts uh, with a prologue. Uh, Do you mind if I read it just for a second? No, please. Once upon a time, Three kids got lost in the woods. Sounds like a fairy story, doesn't it? But what exactly is a time? Is it a second, a minute, an hour or a day? Or are we talking about a week, a month, a year, maybe even a lifetime? A blink of an eye lasts for a tenth of a second, while scientists reckon that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Tick, tick, tick. Can I tell you a secret? Once upon a time doesn't exist. This story starts once upon a now. And the reason I decided to set the story in the woods is uh, 
it is it, it kind of you know it, it's the setting of fairy tales and this idea of children getting lost in the woods you know is such a thread through fiction from you know tales of Hansel and Gretel and Little Red Riding Hood but what I wanted to write in uh, in this book was a story about now and you know one of the things that I'm kind of aware of as a writer and I think we're all aware of as, as human beings is you know with the climate crisis and everything you know the natural world is something that's very important and in a way possibly something that we're, we're in the process of losing so with the longest nights of Charlie Noon, one of the reasons I decided to write about nature in the story is, is, is was a reflection of the, that time we're living in now. Yeah, and that theme does come through um, really strongly. I think you're right. I think we are at the kind of a tipping point, aren't we, with the world that we live in. Either we do something now mm. to preserve what we have, or things could take a really dangerous turn for everything on the planet, couldn't it? Really. Yeah. And and that and that's one that one the hopefully one of the messages in, in in Charlie Noon is about how you know we, we 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 build the future with every action that we take and you know looking at things like the uh Greta Thunberg and you know her kind of advocacy mm-hmm. for you know action. You know, it's almost that the younger generation are the ones that are stepping up and take and, and you know you know, that's in a sense what we need. We need them to build that brighter future for us all. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the younger generation are a lot more proactive than perhaps we have been and should have been. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's very easy. I mean, it's very easy to kind of feel powerless. You know, and that's that's another one of the themes of the story, you know, it's about how, you know, as children, you know, we all, you know, sometimes it can get romanticised with this golden time filled with climbing trees and having fun but actually a lot of time when you're a child all you want to do is is grow up because you feel powerless so one of the one of the ideas in in the longest night of china is about exploring how you know you do have power as a young person and how you can shape the future yeah no you're right thank you now, i know that as um part of your research for the story you actually spent a night i'm going to say camping in the woods but i'm guessing it wasn't quite as organized as camping was it no it wasn't quite <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not quite See, this is the thing i'm not i'm, I'm not naturally kind of an outdoors type but this it's interesting because reading books changes the way that you think but actually writing them does too so i've actually become much more in touch with the natural world. And so I did uh, the novel set in a place called Lower Woods, which is an area of ancient woodland on the uh, border between Gloucestershire and Wiltshire. And when I was I went there several times, kind of mapping the terrain on the ground to the story that I was writing. But I knew uh, my novel wouldn't be kind of truthful enough if I, if I didn't venture there after dark. So one evening I did spend <laughs> quite a scary night exploring lower woods in the dark wow and yeah they're strange and mysterious places uh, to get alone in ancient woodland uh, on a moonless night was yes <laughs> yeah you're very brave foolish after the word is but you know all in the name of research well i applaud you well done <laughs> now um also Talking of research, there's a, a really strong um, code-breaking element to this story. Was that something you had to research now as a grown-up, or have you always been quite interested in kind of codes and code-breaking as a child? I, I remember being a child. I remember, like, you know, kind of like uh, reading those books about being a spy or things like that and trying to kind of 
create invisible ink out of lemon juice. I mm. kind of remember doing all that, but I don't think I had any particular aptitude for that, else, else MI5 would have recruited me by now. That but is uh, I kind of uh, had to research kind of the codes and the code break, and I actually got one of those uh, GCHQ, you know, they had those puzzle books, kind of, there's a whole series of books, you know, crack the GCHQ, and I, I got one of these out of the library, and I was rubbish at it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So I've, I've had to just research it. So yeah, that's all in, in, in there on the page. Yeah, excellent. Uh, it was fun trying to crack them. I'm not quite as good as um, the characters in your in your book, but I did have a go. Oh, no. I wasn't. Charlie's, Charlie's very good at code breaking. Yeah, well, that's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talking about themes in your book, I've I've read um, all of your books and really enjoyed them. And I've noticed that there's always um, a couple of really key themes that seem to come through strongly across all your titles and that's a theme to do with family often a family that's having some kind of um, difficulty and science so, um, and I was just wondering why these ideas were so seem to be so central to your work uh, I kind of think I like I think you know family is such an important part of, you know, of, of everyone's life in some ways you know it can be a, it can be a positive experience it can be a negative experience and I like my stories always start with a character, you know, whether it's Charlie in, in this novel or I'll be bright in the many worlds I'll be bright. They always start with a character. And the way that the science comes into it is sometimes the character comes with a problem and science is an element that allows them to either solve or explore that problem. And, and what I like about kind of, I think science, and stories, you know, help us to explore questions mm. of life about, you know, kind of like, what does it mean to be human? You know, and what it means to be human, as far as I'm concerned, it means to kind of like have relationships with people, to love and have families and friends and things like that. And so writing stories like Longside Charlie Newman, which, you know, in, in this story, you know, Charlie hasn't got the happiest home life. It, it's exploring ideas like that showing hopefully showing readers that you know uh even at times when things are difficult there's a way through it's, it's really important i think in the stories like that, i don't ever want to give readers i think it's important when you're writing I, I, you know i've heard different people talk about the role of children's fiction and sometimes people talk about how about children's fiction has to have hope in it I think it does in, in a sense, but I don't think you can ever give children false hope in fiction. So what I like to kind of in the books I like is, is write truthfully about these ideas and these themes, whether it's writing truthfully about the scientific theories or the ideas in the plot. Mm, that's interesting. I have had some very intense scientific conversations with my son after he's been reading your books that have involved me having to go and do some background research because my brain's not quite up to speed with quantum physics and yeah. and you do really go for it I've learned so much um personally from reading your books as has my son um but you explain everything in such a clear way that even I can understand it and I was just what I, I apologize <laughs> <laughs> no don't it's great I know about Schrodinger's cat I know about all kinds of stuff it's brilliant um, I'm an expert in quantum physics now, um, but I just I know that you didn't always like science when you were at school. 
So I was wondering yeah. where this interest in science and this ability to explain it in such a clear way um, came from. I think, I think the ability to explain it in such a clear way possibly stems from the fact that I wasn't actually very good at it at school. It's interesting, when you're reading something that's written by someone who's a scientist by training, sometimes I think there's a certain level of assumption. They have a certain level of knowledge which can then lead them to make assumptions about the knowledge of the reader. Mm -hmm. So I think the fact that I struggle <laughs> with science <laughs> or, or lack an understanding of these things means that when I'm doing the search for my novels, sometimes I'll have to you know, kind of like absorb these, you know, kind of complicated theories about quantum physics and our, you know, theories about time. And then I'll have to kind of understand, kind of break it down so that I can understand it myself. Also, in the story in a way that works for the narrative that helps me to tell the story that I want to tell. So I don't want the swamping the story. It's got to be an integral element to the story I want to tell so I think it's maybe helps that I don't have that mm. background in science that means I can put the science in the story in a way that you know as you say hopefully that leaders can engage with and yeah understand. I think someone very clever said that if you can explain something complicated in a way that a child will understand you know that you really understand it yourself I think there's a real knack to distilling yes. the essence of a really complicated idea into a way so there's definitely something in there about you know yeah you want to understand big ideas yeah no i definitely people. agree and i'm just interested as i said they do always have a really strong kind of scientific philosophical kind of feeling theme in your stories do you plan the story and then the science weaves in do you have a scientific idea you want to explore and the story weaves around that or do they kind of evolve together it's more the stories always begin with a character. I always have a character in a situation. And then the science, well, for the last four stories, the science has just emerged naturally out of that. So uh, it's not that I'm kind of got a tick list of a, I've not got a science textbook open <laughs> the contents page and I'm ticking off sections at a time. Although maybe I should do that. It, it's more that the, the kind of the, the stories. A character emerges, and there's a story that I want to tell, and then the research will lead me in a certain way. I mean, the interesting thing about The Longest Night of Charlie Noon in comparison to kind of the novel that preceded it, The Infinite Lives of Maisie Day, The Infinite Lives of Maisie Day was a story that was about a girl who was basically a 10 year old science prodigy. Uh, and she, there was a lot of scientific theorizing that appeared on the page of the book as, as Maisie used her knowledge of science to try and understand the events that were happening to her in the story. So with, with The Longest Night of Charlie Noon, I, I probably had to do the most kind of mind-bending research novel kind of in comparison to other ones, you know, looking into time, etc. But uh, the actual science isn't that evident on the page. It's more holding up the scenery of the story as opposed to something like The Influence of Maisie the story was narrated by Maisie, who's so she's often using scientists to try and understand the events in the novel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that um, 
Maisie Day, there was a lot more of her actually theorising, wasn't there, as, as um, she went through the story? Yeah. Definitely. Thank yeah. you. Um, so, um, but you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that your stories always feature um, one or two major pot, plot twists, and they catch me out every time. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give any of them away, but I was wondering, mm. when you are planning, do you have these twists in mind when you begin and then kind of plot up to the twists, or do they um, develop as you're writing the story? They kind of develop as a madness. I always go up. I used to be kind of a, a kind of obsessive planner in the world as I'm writing. Although mm-hmm. I think I do think the longest will be my most twisty turny book <laughs> yes, yet. As I find that as I struggle to kind of uh, discuss it. Uh, and when Danu, which I think is possibly the most twisty turny of my books, is uh, Sometimes I, I have to be careful not to give away no, any spoilers. No, definitely. It must be really hard. I bet you all you want to do is share what you've written, but you, you can't because you just have that fear, don't you, of giving away like a vital twist. Yeah, I think basically, you know, the government should pay to buy a copy of The Longest Night of Charlie Noon for everyone in the UK. We can all agree a night to lead it on and then we yeah. can... Afterwards and I would it love it them to do that. I'd be really on board for a government-sponsored... <laughs> I'm on board with that from a loyalty point. That would be my idea. Maybe we should um, set up a petition of some kind and get some signatures. That would be a great idea. I don't seem to work those petitions, unfortunately. I signed you So we'll see. No, well, fingers crossed. So I know that you've got um, an exciting event coming up soon. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Because it sounds fantastic. Yes, so last year I had the privilege of appearing at the Royal Institution in London, kind of uh, standing in the same lecture theatre as scientists like Professor Brian Cox and Maxwell and other people have have stood. So this year on Saturday, 22nd of June, which is a day after the longest day, we're going to have the longest night of Charlie Noon at the Royal Institution. So I'll be joined there that evening by Tom Briggs from Bletchley Park, and Amélie Santong, who's an astrophysicist, and so we'll be exploring secret codes and stars and time and the longest night of Charlie Noon. So I really hope people can come along to the, the event last year. It was a lot of fun. It was amazing. I actually came last year to your event with um, my son and learned about Vantablack and things and had an absolutely brilliant time. So I would definitely advise anybody who's thinking about it to come. Um, is there somewhere they can go to get a hold of tickets, do you know? Yes, yeah, so you can either, you can go to the Royal Institution website and it'll be on their events page for the 22nd of June. Or you can also go to my website, www.christopheredge.co.uk and it's at the bottom of my events page and there's a list of my upcoming events where you'll find it and there's a link to buy tickets. Excellent. And I would urge people to go. I can't go this year, unfortunately, and I'm very annoyed, but I'm already already booked up. But I, people should definitely get tickets if they're about. It was it was brilliant last year. Thank and you, this Jill. year, I'm sure will be even better. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Working on it now. But that has brought me very nicely to the end of my questions. And thank you for bearing with the um, the signal at times. 
um, and for answering all my questions and for taking time out of your evening to, to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great to chat to you, Joan. Thanks for, for no, all thank the work. Thank you very you much. Bye-bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you've all been inspired to dash off to the Royal Institute website to book yourselves a ticket to Christopher's show. I went last year, as I said, and it was phenomenal. I also hope you've been inspired to go to the library, your local bookshop, or petition your local MP to get yourself a copy of The Longest Night of Charlie Noon to read. If that's whet your appetite, here is a rundown of Christopher's other award-winning titles which have been published in over 20 languages. Um, I would thoroughly recommend them to anybody age 9+. plus. So his first title was called The Many Worlds of Albie Bright and in it is Albie who misses his dad, a famous scientist and is busy with work all of the time. And she also misses her mum, who has sadly just died from cancer. Um, Albie turns to the world of science for comfort, because quantum physics suggests that there may be parallel universes. And Albie hypothesises that perhaps if there are parallel universes, his mum might be alive somewhere in one of them. So he's going to travel through space armed with a cardboard box and a mouldy banana in his quest to see her again and despite the premise of his mum having passed away it's actually a very funny and tender story don't don't be put off by the um, theme of the mum being passed away we then have the Jamie Drake equation which was published in 2017 and Jamie has a dad who is an astronaut currently orbiting the globe on the International Space Station which you think would be amazing but it's not. Jamie really misses him and wishes that he would come back down to Earth and spend some time building the Lego models they love so much. Um, one night when Jamie's up in the observatory he's discovered he picks up a very strange signal on his phone which makes it seem like alien life is perhaps getting a little closer to home than he had imagined. When his dad's mission goes dangerously wrong, it's up to Jamie to try and help save him. There's also the mind-boggling adventure The Infinite Lives of Maisie Day, which came out in 2018, and it's about um, 10-year-old science prodigy Maisie who awakes on the morning of her birthday hoping to unwrap the part she needs to build herself a nuclear reactor. However, she wakes up to an empty house. Her family have disappeared and when she opens the door she discovers nothing outside at all but all-consuming blackness. Now Maisie knows that she will have to use the laws of the universe to help survive this ordeal but will that be enough? And in my opinion, this is a truly mind-bending, mind-expanding adventure. And um, I will warn you, at the end, I did shed a little tear. But I hope you enjoy it. So finally, if you have read all of Christopher's titles and want something similarly scientific, I would recommend Time Travelling with My Hamster by Ross Welford, which is equally as excellent excellent and science-filled as Christopher's Adventures, 
or for slightly younger readers, maybe seven or eight plus, with a bit more humour in, but well, a lot more humour, I would recommend Mo, Lottie and the Junkers, which is written by Jennifer Killick and published by Firefly Press. It has a similar kind of sci-fi time travel feel, but isn't quite so intense on the scientific theory front, but it's a brilliant, really funny read. I hope you enjoy them. Please do let me know. If you would like to get in touch for any further recommendations, perhaps for a young reader you know or for a topic you're doing, please do get in touch. You can either leave me a message direct on the Anchor app if you have it downloaded, or you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at BookSuperhero2. I have a group on Facebook called Library Girl and Book Boy, or you can go onto my blog, that is www.librarygirlandbookboy.wordpress.com and as well as finding all my most recent reviews, you can drop me a message. Get in touch! So that's it for another episode. Thank you for persevering with the slightly dodgy sound quality in the interview. Um, please do remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on next week's exciting instalment where I get to interview the indomitable AF Harold about his involvement as chair of judges for the Clipper um, Poetry Award. That's the CLPE Poetry Award. We'll be getting the lowdown on the shortlisted titles and a little peek behind the very tricky short listing process as i said make sure you remember to subscribe so you don't miss the episode when it comes out 